The first time I met Henry Quinn was last year at my little sister's Halloween bike parade for her school. All the kids, they dress up, most with bulky jackets beneath their adorable costumes, and they march about in this giant circle on the field for their adoring parents. My half-sister Beth was the perfect Elsa, as were about 12 other little girls. My mom, she couldn't make it. She was showing this sweet craftsman-style house that was for sale at the time, and her husband, my, my stepdad, I guess, was God knows where, so there I was holding court for the Moreau Dennings family. I gave Beth a whistle and a clap as her blonde wig shuffled by, and when she turned the corner, I felt something foreign on my head. Washington Huskies. I looked up from the hat, and there was Henry Quinn, smiling back. You look cold, he said. I introduced myself, I thanked him, but I kindly refused his gesture, and in that moment, I remember his face contorting in a way that sent a chill through my bones. His already sunken cheeks sucked into his skull as he inhaled deeply, never veering his honey-brown eyes from mine. He scared me. When I first reported Henry to the police for stalking, I had mentioned in passing about the time he, Henry, a, a stranger, seemed bizarrely distraught when I refused a gift. This sweat-soaked Husky's hat. I could tell Officer Bentham was bothered. She said that maybe, if it was just the thought of an article of his clothing clinging to my body or resting on my head, perhaps to Henry it meant that he was mine, and I was his. A suspect is in custody for the murder of 17-year-old Emmett King, the young man whose body was found by his high school sweetheart Jessica Morrow in Stony Creek, Oregon last Thursday. Jessica identified the man as an alleged stalker who had been following the young couple for over the last year and a half. Henry Quinn, a 38-year-old bellman at the local Burke Hill Inn and Spa, was arrested at his place of business and maintains that none other than local folklore legend the Engrave is responsible for Mr. King's death. <laughs> Sadly, Mr. Engrave could not be reached for comment. When I found my boyfriend dead, lying against the stones of Eagle Rock River, the same stones we used to skip together. His, his blood had been drained. His body had been hollowed. There was no openings for his organs to be pulled from. No cut for his blood to be poured from. No hole for his skeleton to be stripped from. He was clean, and he was emptied. And not only did no one know why, no one knew how. Our bewildered police department wants the incident, as they call it, to fade into nothing more than a terrible tragedy. They want smiles and flowers, a new year, new beginnings. But what about what I want? You're listening to my story, to Emmett's story. This is Stony Creek.
Hello, Henry. Hello. How are you? Do you care? No, I don't. But it's usually what people ask. I'm winning my fantasy league. I'm finishing a madman. I'm opening a 1970 Chateau Cheval Blanc tonight for the boys. Life's good. How are you? When's the trial? It's not yet decided. And this is just... You have something you need to ask. I do. Yeah, I have a lot of things. Please, help yourself. Henry Quinn is 38 years old. He was born on Christmas Tree Lane in Altadena, California, to an ideal family. He had a dad that cooked him dinner, a mom that helped him with his homework and played with him. He had a golden retriever, and he probably had a wooden swing that hung from a tree in his front yard. He grew to be the man his parents raised him to be, hardworking and devoted. Henry met his wife in his Foundations of Data Science class up at UC Berkeley, and it was when she left him that he moved to Seattle. Henry Quinn was once the kind of man I would introduce to my mom with the hope of them hitting it off. He was once the kind of man all the teachers would be crossing their fingers for at parent-teacher conferences. Or at least that's what I've heard. Today, Henry Quinn is the kind of man whose only contact with the outside world is behind a 20-foot-high wall with two armed guards at his side. How did you kill Bill Jeffries? And why? He was good to you. I had nothing to do with the death of your boyfriend. Or my boss. I don't believe you. I don't care. Although I do think that it's very sweet of you to believe that if I did do it, I would sit here and tell a 17-year-old Nancy fucking Drew why and how just because she asked. Now, do you have any worthwhile questions for me to discard? Or will your follow-up be just another indication as to why you never made editor of the school paper? Why'd you tell the police we've never met? Try again. When did you first move to Stony Creek? Ask around. <sighs> why have you been watching me and Emmett since we were kids? I haven't been watching you, sweetheart. He has. Who has? This was a bad idea. Yes, it was. I think the scariest movie I've ever seen was Saw. Definitely Psycho. Urban Legends with the dog in the microwave? That movie fucked me up. Scariest movie. Maybe The Ring or The Grudge? Wait, which one was The Grudge? The scariest movie I've ever seen was a shitty-ass YouTube clip. It was very Blair Witch and totally fake and shit, and probably the only reason why it scared me so much was because it was filmed in Finder's Forest and is about the Engrave. You know who I'm talking about? This is Jenny DiDamaso. Jenny's been my friend since the third grade, and besides my best friend Noah, she's the only person I've talked with about Emmett's death. Which means she's probably a little bit of a Gabby bitch since the current rumors and details of how he was found and what he looked like are fairly accurate. It was these two guys trekking through the woods, they were stumbling about and talking. One of the guys was holding a GoPro. They get to a clearing. I swear it's in and around Spooner Field, you know, that huge opening. And it was just like those stories from when we were kids about the Engrave. Their memory gets patchy and eventually... The first time I heard about the Engrave was on my 12th birthday. I was having a slumber party, and after my parents went to bed, my girlfriends and I sat around our outdoor fire pit, roasting marshmallows and telling scary stories. 
Danielle French told us about how a man broke into her house once when she was home alone and she saw his reflection creeping through the bathroom mirror. Sayako Minami told us about the time she saw a ghost standing at the foot of her bed and how she could feel something tug at her covers every night at 3 a.m. And it was Jenny Di Damaso who told us about a faceless man that roams Finder's Forest in Stony Creek. The Endgrave is this tall, skinny man that wears muted jeans that flap in the wind and a black sweatshirt with a large hood draping over his face. At first glance, nothing would stand out about him, but if you look carefully, you would see these spindly, twig-like arms as thin as needles, and they dangle past his knees, practically dragging through the dirt. These ragged arms are wrapped tightly in dirty bandages that trail behind him along the ground. You need to have eagle eyes on those arms, though. (laughs) He's good at deceiving you into thinking he's just like everybody else. He's charming and sweet, and tries to engage. There's something about him that draws you near. It's like he's the center of the earth and gravity pulls you toward him. He's the full moon that shifts the tides, like a scary old man with candy for kids. But this guy's ambitious. He goes for kids, adults, teenagers, (laughs) obviously. He's a big bag of dicks. But no matter what you do, you can never, ever take off his hood. You'll want to. But don't, because if you yank it back with the hood, you will pull his skin and it will expose this pin-sized head. It's this tiny little ball that's fused into his sickly stick neck and his head and his neck and his veiny skin and his sweatshirt are all attached. It's as if his skin is holding everything together, everything in place. It's all one. There's no beginning and there's no end. With his hood tugged backwards, as legend has it, the engrave is nothing more than an eyeless face stretched thin to reveal a tiny black opening for a mouth that sinks into a world of nothing. They say he was originally a madman, and over the years his tortured soul splintered turning his decaying body into a black hole. But he still remains forever trapped inside his private world of darkness. The story says that once exposed, the engrave will open his mouth and suck your insides out through your mouth and into his. There's no mess, there's no blood, there's there's nothing. After he takes you, there's nothing left, but quite literally the shell of the person you once were. Jenny sent me the link to the scariest movie she had ever seen, and she was right, it was very Blair Witch. Two guys, probably in their early 30s, one named Jason, and the other's name was never revealed. They find themselves lost within the immensity of Finder's Forest, and they happen upon a clearing. Jason appears to be slowly losing his mind, he's, he's lost, he's frustrated, and then he starts seeing things. And Jenny was right, they've absolutely found their way to Spoonerfield. It's this little valley near the tip of the woods that not a lot of people know about, but it's close to a cliff and a lookout point that surveys the flickering lights of Stony Creek. I know this because I have been there. Screw it, I I lost my virginity at that lookout, but in all the times that Emmett and I stumbled across Spooner Field on our way to that cliff, we have never experienced what Jason and his friend did that day. We've never gone hunting for monsters we didn't believe in, 
And more importantly, we've never seen things that weren't really there. Against the cliff, Jason and his friend find a tunnel filled with graffiti. A tunnel I know does not exist. A tunnel that could only lead to two things, a dead end or a deadly fall. They walk toward it, toward this tunnel that has writing on it that says Engrave. A tunnel that asks whoever enters to quote, help us. Then, as if he's losing his mind, Jason sees someone that isn't there. Standing in a tunnel that doesn't exist. Someone that only he can see. It's unnatural. And unfortunately for them, it appears to be exactly what they're looking for. Suddenly, the guy holding the camera is attacked from behind. It's intense. The camera is all over the place. It's nothing but a blur amongst his screams. And then before the camera cuts to black, there's this sort of freeze frame. And you can, start, you can hardly see anything. It's, it's hard, but there is a flash. There is a logo. Sign in on the left, date and time on the right. Inmate's name just below yours. Yeah, I got it. Why are you here? I don't know why or how Bill died. How their bodies ended up the way they did, but I do know you killed Emmett. I know you did. Do you? Do you want to know how I know? Sure. Why not? Well, you see, you forgot something. What did I forget? Your hat. Guard! It was the second time I had seen Henry Quinn's face cave into itself, as if the blood running through his veins dissipated in an instant, as if his soul escaped with his final exhale. His unblinking golden brown eyes burned through mine, and the fine hairs of my arms separated and slowly rose with my growing goosebumps. The first time I saw him like this was when I refused to take his hat, that one October morning at my little sister's Halloween bike parade, and now, now that he knows that I have it. I didn't tell the police that I found Henry's hat resting on Emmett's sunken head. My accounts of our disturbing interactions of me finding him night after night, peering through my bedroom window no matter how many times I called the police, or of his diary I found tracking my daily routines, and, of course, because of his skin. His skin that was found beneath Emmett's cracked fingernails the day his body was discovered. That was enough to bring Henry in. There's no need for me to tell the police how I saw the same hat that he once wanted me to have flash across the screen in Jenny's YouTube video. Not yet, at least. Next time on Stony Creek. Um, are you Adam Langdon? Who are you? Is this, is this you in this video? We should just go back the other way, man. Dude, we're checking everywhere. No. Hello? Jason. Hello? Stop. Come on. Stop it. There's definitely somebody in there. Well, then we definitely shouldn't go down there. I'll check this out. Oh, Hello? Shit. Dude, there's fucking something. There's something in there. What? You didn't see that? It's coming right in. Dude, that's it. It's fucking in there. Look at those arms. Oh, it is. 
Chase. Chase, come on back here, man. That's not a smart decision. Chase. Chasing. Where did you find this? This episode of Stony Creek was produced by Danielle McKechnie and Mike Pence. You can learn more about the show and its team over at stonycreekpodcast.com. You can also follow our mysterious town on social media through Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Stony Creek Pod. Thank you to our producer, Ali Bernacki. The Stony Creek theme and score was created by the amazing Evan Duffy. Artwork by Jahan Carluin, and Helene Carluin runs our website.